about 13 hours away from ushering in 2018. And I would love to say that uh, the 2017 has been an awesome year. And the great thing is I can. Because God has been so good to us and God has brought us to this point. And I'm excited about it. But I have a small bit of bad news I have to share as we wrap up 2017. Um, many of you are here on our grand opening. And on our grand opening, uh, David and Victoria Graston were here. And I told you on that day that David had begun to battle leukemia and actually would go into the hospital the day after our grand opening. Uh, I got a call from his wife last night. I've been down at the hospital with them about four times this week. But I got a call from his wife last night that the chemo did not work. And because the chemo did not work and he doesn't have kidneys and he's on dialysis and he also has pneumonia, all kinds of things have kind of played themselves out where the doctors have actually said there's nothing more that we can do for him. And so they are taking him off of life support today. And so... Um, Sorry, uh, I, I tried. Um, you know, David, David's a friend. Um, the great thing is he's a believer in Jesus Christ, and uh, this life is temporary. And as we sing about all glory be to Christ, that's what, we can, that's what we can take hope in, that all glory is to Christ, and that his life was one of glory to Christ, one that lifted him up. And as we even talk today, we're going to talk about two words that stand out very very strongly to me, and that is to walk worthy. And I believe that David has walked worthy, and, uh, and it's one of the things that, that I'm looking forward to someday, just not someday soon, of getting to meet Jesus Christ face-to-face and him to say, thank you for walking worthy, well done, good and faithful servant. So as you can do that, you can think about uh, David. You can think about his family, uh, the decision they had to make. Um, even as I visited him on Tuesday, he seemed... Although intubated, he seemed good. He seemed healthy. He seemed aware. His eyes were open. He was nodding. He was blinking when I was asking him questions. So to go from that to this in a week is, is really hard. As a matter of fact, uh, I asked Christy this morning, I said, I don't think I've ever done a funeral at Paragon before. I've done a funeral for people, but not somebody for, that, that is a part of Paragon. And uh, I actually prayed because he's been battling cancer off and on for literally 20 years. Um, and uh, this, this last battle, he is, uh, he is not going to win in the earthly realm, but he will win in the spiritual realm because of Jesus Christ. And um, so as we think about that, think about Victoria, his wife. Think about his two boys, uh, um, Jacob and Miguel. Think about his, his, uh, excuse me, his, his um, extended family and such as you think about that. Um, I'll be going down there later this afternoon as they, as they disconnect um, him from the life support. And uh, who knows? God still can work miracles, right? So we don't know what, what God's got in store for it all, and maybe uh, he gets the glory that way. But be praying for them in that. I said, uh, you know, 2017 is, is, uh, has been a great year. And I, I thought about all the things, and I was kind of writing down the things. We started off the, the beginning of 2017 with what is faith. And we dove into Hebrews chapter 11. We looked at all the individuals mentioned in this hall of faith, the heroes of faith. And when we went through each one of those, and when, then we got to put our faith into practice as we learned that, because in the in uh, the month of April, we came together as a church and we prayed. We had our, our prayer huddles, and as we prayed, one of the things we were praying for was for direction. God, where are you taking us next? What are you going to do? And as we prayed through that, as we gathered weekly in all these different houses, we prayed and said, God, what are you going to do? And at the end of April, we were really, really excited that God was going to give us an answer, and you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. Um, at least not in my mind anything ever happened because there was no answer given. We didn't know what was going to happen. So we went into May knowing that in October our lease at our other building was going to be up. And we moved forward and we continued to go. And it came to the middle of July. We went over to the Miller's house on July 17th. It was, a, it was an evening leadership meeting. And we said, guys, we need to come up with a plan. 
right now because we don't have any time left to figure things out. We found a building that was a little bit further this way, but it was going to cost like a hundred grand and a bunch of city jump hoop throughs kind of thing to, to make it all happen. But that was the only thing that had presented itself. We said, that's what we got to do. Let's just pray that God makes it all happen. The next day, Next morning, realtor calls, hey, hey, have you heard about Turning Point Church and their, uh, their building they have over there on, on uh, 528 and Sunch? They're going to be closing down at the end of August. Do you guys want to look at that one? I said, absolutely, let's do it. And then God began to work, God began to move, and he put us in a place where we are now. And as I think about that, and think about all the steps, and I can go into great detail on everything that God has done along the way to celebrate 2017 and how awesome it's been. But as I look at that, I, I, I look at this idea that we started off with what is faith. And throughout the year, God challenged our faith. He, he grew our faith. He said, here's how you're going to put that faith into action. And we were able to do that. And so as we did that last year, I, I began to, to look at every year that we've been a church, we've had a theme to kick off the year. And like I said, this year was what about faith? And I said, what God do you want to point us in the direction of for next year, for 2018? And I began to look at it, and as I began to look at it, I, 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 I'm preparing to, uh, to lead a Bible study, to be a part of a group of guys leading a Bible study over the Fairwinds, and we're going through the book of Colossians. And I get to do the first chapter of Colossians uh, next week. And as I started reading, I, I read this in Colossians, and two words stuck out to me. And it was Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. It'll be up here on the screen um, as I read, and it says this. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Two words walk worthy. Those two words stuck out in my mind. As I read that, I began to just kind of let that soak in, and I started to look and see, where else has Paul challenged his churches that he's a part of to, to walk worthy? And guess what? The, the church of Thessalonica. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says this, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. A second letter to the church of Thessalonica, chapter 1, verse 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of the faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I even looked at that verse and thinking about this walk worthy, one of the things that stood out to me in there is who is it that causes us to walk worthy? And it says this, God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good. How many of you guys have resolutions this year? Just raise your hand. You don't have to tell me what they are, but just raise your hand if you have a resolution that you're planning on putting into place tomorrow. As you think about it, those of you guys who were like, I don't want to raise my hand right now, but you have one, and so we're just going to go with that. And as you do that, here's a question. Is the resolution, this resolve for good, that was the, the, the prayer that, that Paul laid out there, is your resolution something that will glorify God? 
Is it something that we can look at and say, this is what God is going to do? And, you know, I was going to get into it, but that's another sermon for another day. So maybe next, next year you can come back around again and, and we'll gather around and we'll talk about that. But there was another verse that stood out to me. And maybe this is one that you've heard before. It's in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 28. And you've heard this one because people use it all the time. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Am I hard-pressed between the two? My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, I will continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have an ample cause of glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or I am absent, I may hear of you and that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. See, all of these verses, all these passages I've read to you talk about walking in a manner worthy of the calling that we've been called, but at the same time saying it's for the glory of Christ, not for our glory. But the one that seemed to stand out to me the most is this one in the book of Ephesians. The one in the book of Ephesians is, is the one I'd love for you to open up to because we're going to kind of hang out in that passage. So it's Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to go there. And as you go there, I kind of want to tell you just a little bit about this, this idea of walking worthy. Because when I say those words, let me just be very honest. Those are scary words. They're intimidating words. They're, they're overwhelming words. And when we look at that, one of the things we talked about this year was fear versus faith. We really dove into that in September and October area. And we looked at that fear versus faith and the, the but what if question. But what if? And we look at this walk worthy and we say, but what if? And how do we look at that? And how do we go? And what does it look like to walk worthy? And how do we do it? A better question, is it even possible for you and I to walk worthy? If it is, why do we do it? See, walking worthy of being follow, called a follower of Christ, that is something new. That is something that is going to create great change in our lives. And it changes my lives and it changes everything I do. It's going to change everything I say. It's going to change the way that I live. And as we look at that, you know, we looked at the fact that Jesus is going to make all things new. And one of the things he's doing in us is he's making us new. He says in 1 Corinthians that we are a new creation. And as we're a new creation, where does that take us? But new is scary. New is scary. For those of you guys who raised up your hands or kind of half-heartedly raised your hands saying, I have a, a resolution this year. I'm going to be the bearer of bad news. But only about 8% of people actually follow through with their resolutions. 92% fail. Why? And I think the reason why is this new is scary. We like our regular status quo. We like our regular routines. And new, even walking worthy, is going to change that up. And when it changes up, we're not going to feel very comfortable with it. And that's a problem that we have. So funny, this week I had to go to the dentist just to get regular cleaning. And uh, uh, one of the things, every time I've gone, probably for the last two years, they're like, you need to get a electric toothbrush because it's so much better you need to do this and of course they're selling the oral b over here off to the side and so on and so forth and they're like take a look at this one and they wanted to get that and i'm like yeah well i got an electric toothbrush for christmas so i knew when i got to go in that i would be telling them i got an electric toothbrush and they were going to ha be happy with me and that's a good thing but the funny thing is the lady's like well did you get a uh, an electric toothbrush with bluetooth and i said what 
They said, did you get an electric toothbrush with Bluetooth? I said, well, what, what do you need Bluetooth for? And they said, well, it hooks to an app on your phone. And, and the app on your phone, it actually will give you a timer for a countdown, but it also will map your teeth and where you brush them at in spots that you missed. And I said, I think an electric toothbrush is fine. I, I don't need to go any more than that. I mean, I'm already pushing new, okay? I've had a non-electric toothbrush my whole life, and I've taken that first step. I'm not getting one that hooks up to my phone to map my teeth, okay? I, I'm okay with that. And the lady's like, yeah, you know, this new technology and stuff. She's like, I just don't get it. And she went into her whole Fitbit, and she's asking me questions. Of course, my mouth is full of everything, so I can't answer the questions. But she's asking me all these questions about technology, and she just doesn't like new because it's so difficult to wrap your head around. Now, you'd think that this person was probably in their 40s or so because those are the people that tend to complain about technology. no. She was in her upper 20s. And I got to thinking, even those who strive for technology, even those who want these things, they knew is scary and knew is different, and we just like it the way that we've always done it. And that intimidating word of walk worthy, man, that makes it difficult. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, hear what he's saying and hear why he's saying for us to walk worthy. Because I think sometimes as a church and sometimes as a group of churches, we get into the do's and don'ts before we get into the why's we do's and don'ts. And we, we tell other people, this is why you do it, this is why you don't, instead of really seeing why God's calling us to do it that way. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Does I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all as we dive into this, I want to pray that God speaks to us today as we move into 2018. That is a year we can say that we were challenged to walk worthy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you speak to us. And God, I pray that even today, as we dive into this, as we look at the life of David Graston, God, it was a life that, that was lived well, a, a, a fight that took place. A fight against sickness, a fight against disease, a fight against cancer. And God, we know that it has taken him here, but he wins because of you. And God, that walking worthy is something that we can look towards and live towards because our lives are shorter than we realize. But someday we'll get to stand in your presence for eternity. God, speak to us this morning. We pray it in your name. Amen. This book of Ephesians, I want to catch you up really quick. In it, as you look at the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians really can be broken down into two sections. The first three chapters and the second three chapters. The first three chapters, really, there are statements that tell us about who God is. There are statements that tell us about who we are. And they tell about, about who God is that changes who we are and whose we are. So that's really the first three chapters, and, and that's what Paul is laying out there for us. But the second half of it is four through six is about the things that we're supposed to respond with, how we're supposed to live differently, how we're supposed to change who we are, the things that we need to do, and the things that we need to stop doing based on those first three chapters. So the first three chapters tells us this. I've been chosen by God and adopted as his child. It says, I'm redeemed. I'm seated with, the, with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. I'm part of God's workmanship. I am 
uh, able to approach God with freedom and confidence. That's what the first three chapters tell us. How should we respond? Well, it says that we need to walk in unity, that we need to walk in the world as a Christian would. We need to walk in the home as a Christian, a follower would. And we need to do the everyday life as a Christian would and the spiritual warfare that comes with it. So as we look at that and as we think about that, the, the first part really is our identity in Christ. And that's the fun part, isn't it? Because the fun part says this is who you are because of who Christ is. And because of who Christ is, this is whose you are. And as you look at the whose you are, it changes everything. And it changes our life. The one thing it really should change is how we respond and how we live. And that's where this second chapter comes, or second set of chapters comes in. The first one are about identity. The second one is our responsibility. So what I want to do is I want to break down this Ephesians chapter 4, because this is the hinging point where it switches. Well, actually, he prays at the end of chapter 3, and that's really kind of the hinge. But it picks up here, and it says, I therefore. I therefore. And those first two words, I therefore, we've said it before. We said, when you see the word therefore, you have to figure out what it's there for. And what he's doing is he's making that transition. That's what we've looked at. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The second part of that verse says this, a prisoner for the Lord. A prisoner for the Lord. Now, why didn't he say he was a prisoner in Rome? Why didn't he say, I'm a prisoner under Nero and being attacked and, and so on and so forth? Why did he say he was a prisoner for the Lord? I think he was setting up for us to say, when you live in a manner that is worthy of being called a follower of Christ, some things are going to happen, and not everything's going to be good. Sometimes we get this idea, well, I'm a Christian now, everything's going to be perfect. Not true. And he says, I am a follower of Christ, and I am a prisoner for the Lord. And as that says, these things, as we walk worthy, some things in our life are going to change. It's changed his life. When you think about this, when Paul met Jesus for the first time, what was he doing? He was persecuting Christians. He hated Christians. He wanted to wipe Christianity off the map. And he meets Jesus face to face. And in that process, his life has changed. So much so, he says, I cannot continue to live the life that I've been living. As a matter of fact, I've got to do a complete shift. I've got to do a complete 180. And that 180 helps us understand that there was a change that took place. That he understood who he was, and now he understands whose he is. And you look at your life, and you say, well, wait a second. Why didn't that happen to me when I met Jesus? Was Paul different than you? Was Paul different than me? I don't think so. I think the one thing that we can understand is this, is that he understood the difference that Christ made in his life. Sometimes we, and we being even leadership in the church, ha have made Jesus out to be, well, you get to go to heaven. Jesus didn't just die for you to go to heaven. That's part of the benefit. That's a great part of the package. But what he really did was he died so your life would change and you could grow closer to your Lord and Savior, that you could grow closer to, to God himself, that a relationship could be built because before you weren't able to do it on your own. That is why he came. And in that, there's some changes that should make place. And as we see that, I already read for you Philippians chapter uh, 1, verses 20 and 21. But let me read for you again. How can he say this? As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you understand? He says, You know what makes me tick? You know what keeps me going? Is the glory of God. 
I want to live for the glory of God. That's what it's all about. None of this is about me. So how do we do that? How do we live in that way? How can we say that salvation has radically changed the view that I have of myself, of who I am and whose I am? See, because of Christ, I'm redeemed. Because of Christ, I'm forgiven. Because of Christ, I was chosen from the foundation of the world to be his child. Because of Christ, I'm an ambassador of heaven with diplomatic status to share that with other people. That is an awesome thing. But how do I respond? And the thing is, that's what Paul wants us to do, is to respond. Because it leads to that next part of the passage where he says, I urge you to. The word urge you means to beg or to strongly encourage. He he wants to push people. He wants to, to say, you need to move this forward. Guess where he's at when he writes those words? He's in prison. You know, we th- sometimes think of prison in our own lives as, as the state penitentiary where you get three square meals a day, you get cable TV, you get a bed, you get all the things that are necessary. No, they didn't care about their prisoners back then. You sat in a hole that could be wet, could be damp, could be have all kinds of things. You're hanging out with a prison guard attached to you, and it's not pleasant. You're writing by candlelight. It's not great conditions. And he says, I want to urge you to do the same thing I'm doing. I want to urge you to imitate me as I imitate Christ, is what he says in one passage. When we see that, what does that look like? No, he doesn't want us to live differently. He wants us to live differently in a manner that is worthy of the calling, of being called a follower of Christ. That's the next part of the verse. To urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. When we break down those words, what's it mean to walk? That's the first question we have. What does it mean to walk? Well, in those times, it basically refers to our daily living or our daily conduct. So our daily living and our daily conduct has to be worthy. The second word in there, to walk worthy, it comes from a Greek word actually meaning to balance the scales. And as we look at that and we think about that, it's like this. When, when you say, hey, that guy is worth his pay, that, that is what is being written here, that somebody who's worked in the fields all day long, he earns this amount of pay. They balance each other out. And he says, this is what you get, and this is what you've done to get it. Now, I don't want you to be confused thinking that somehow you earn your salvation, because that is not it at all. In, first, or sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, it's by grace we've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. So don't get confused on the two. But he says, because we have that grace, this is how we should respond. The balance of the scales should be here. Um, You know, it's interesting to to look at when you say, here's what I have, and here's what Christ has given me. They should balance out. Our response should balance out. There's also another part of this word. There's a second step to the word worthy, and that is to be of worth. And it's it's an intrinsic value or a built-in value to what we have here. And the problem with us when it comes to balancing is, is sometimes we see the intrinsic value, what it's actually worth, and then we have the appraised value, where we don't quite know what we have. For instance, in 2013, a lady went to a garage sale in Upper New York, and she went to this garage sale, and she saw this little bowl that was really well designed and everything, and she bought that bowl to go on her table to put fruit in. And that bowl she paid $3 for. But as time went on, she was looking at that bowl, and she started to say, I'm going to get that appraised. It's really nice looking. She went and had it appraised. It turned out it was a 1,000-year-old bowl from a Chinese dynasty of years ago. 
It turned out that $3 bowl was worth $300,000. Then she took it to auction, and at auction, it went for $2.2 million. Talk about a good investment. But the lady who sold the bowl at the garage sale, do you think she might have been kicking herself a little bit about not knowing the intrinsic value and only had the appraised value of this bowl? What's that like with our salvation? What is your salvation worth to you? What is the intrinsic value and what is the appraised value? Because I believe the intrinsic value, if we understand what it is, it will change our lives and change the way that we live. But if we only see it for what we think, that it's just to get to heaven, it's a get out of hell free card, then we're going to live that way too. How should we walk? Walk in a manner that is worthy. And so we look at that and we say, worthy of what? Well, worthy of our calling. Our call to salvation. You've been called from death to life. You've been called out of darkness into light. You've been called to a relationship with God instead of out of a relationship without God. That is where the value comes from. When we go back to those scales, I mean, think about it. We have been given everything through Jesus Christ. How should our life look on the other side of that scale to balance that out? How should we be walking in a manner that is worthy to the calling? And I look at that and I say, here's my struggle. Is that possible? Is it possible to walk in such a way that it's going to balance out what Christ did for me? You know what the answer is? No. It's not possible. At least not on my own. Because on my own, I battle daily with who's going to be the Lord of my life today. You know when Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and die to yourself? That's what he's talking about. He's saying, who is going to be the Lord of your life? And there are days that I am more than happy to let Jesus be in control and I'm going to be the follower. But then there's other days that I am not so happy. And I want to be the one in control, and I want to be the one that's running the show, and I want to be the one, even though I have the conviction, even though I have the knowledge, even though I know the intrinsic value, even though I know all of those things, I still battle with it. It's like going to the gym. Some of you are going to start going to the gym in two days. You're not going to go tomorrow because you want to eat as much as you possibly can at all those spreads. But you will go on Tuesday. And when you go on Tuesday, there's going to be a thousand other people there on your treadmill that you thought you were going to get. And then you're going to eventually talk yourself out of that. And talk yourself out of those things. I do it all the time. Every morning when my alarm goes off at 5.30 to get up to go to the gym by 6, I go, I just don't think it has that intrinsic value. There's an appraised value and it's not balancing with sleep. So I'm going to stick with sleep. And we all do that in all areas of our lives. We battle it out. So how do we walk worthy? If it is not possible to do it on our own, well, guess what we do? We do it with Christ, and we do it with his body, his church. That is what it's about. See, we have to understand, even as we do this, we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves to say, I have to walk worthy. There are plenty of churches that can preach a message to say, well, this is what you have to do, have to do, have to do. But here's what we need to understand. This whole idea of walking worthy isn't about us living up to a calling. It's not about me. It's about us living out of a calling that's all about Christ and Him getting the glory. When we understand that, it takes the pressure off. It takes us to say, it's not about me. And here's, here's the thing, you know, we begin to understand what Jesus did for us. We begin to understand whose we are because of who He is. And we begin to say, we want 
the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. We want the Holy Spirit to lead us. And as he leads us, there's this crazy thing that Paul writes to the church of Galatia in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 called the fruit of the Spirit. Well, those things will begin to become fruit because we are no longer leading our lives. We're letting the Spirit live through us. And you, you look, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, Paul starts off saying, if you want to live in the flesh, these are the things that are going to happen. But if you want to live in Christ, these are the things that are going to happen. And he begins to list off things like love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and goodness and self-control. When you look at those things, you go, how in the world? I can't do that. Well, you know why you can't do that? Because we are naturally sinners. But when Christ is living on us and when the Spirit is living through us, those things will begin to become the result. And so I looked at that and I thought, you know what? I think I read some of those same words in that whole idea when, when Paul is writing there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says in verse 2, as you walk in that manner worthy of the calling, you do it with all humility and, oh, there's that word gentleness, and with patience and bearing with another another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The whole idea of walking worthy is written up right up here in verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Have you notice how everybody talks about unity? About coexisting? About creating unity in a team and creating unity in this? What does this passage say? Does this say that unity is created? No, it says unity is maintained. Who creates it? I believe the Spirit creates it. That's how we should be getting along with our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they're in this church or in another Bible-believing church someplace else. We have a unity that has been created. Our job is to maintain that unity. Our job is to maintain it. See, the culture is looking for ways to create it, and the reason why they can't hold it together is because they're not going to the one who already created it. They're not submitting to the lordship of the Spirit. They're not doing those things. And we see that, and there's actually ingredients for this unity. You know, it, it's, it's a soup almost. A soup of unity. Now, I'm not sure if you like soup, but soup has ingredients. I like chicken noodle soup. I don't know if you like chicken noodle soup, but when you get chicken noodle soup, there's two big ingredients that are right in the middle of it. You know what they are? That's right, chicken and noodles. Good. You guys are all paying attention. That, that is great. But if I were to bring you a bowl of chicken noodle soup and it neither had chicken nor noodles in it, what would you be getting? That's right, some broth, some sort of, n nobody wants that, maybe carrots, there's carrots and peas that float around there every once in a while, I don't know why anybody put those in there, but that's what they do, and, and so, so you have a few little things in there, but if you want to have that recipe together and create that soup, well, you're going to need the ingredients that go into it, and if you want the soup of unity, there are five things that Paul writes down that we need to have in it all. Ingredient number one is this, and once again, coincidentally, they all seem to be listed in some way, shape, or form in Galatians chapter 5. Ingredient number one is humility. What is humility? Humility has plenty of definitions, but probably the best way I can do it simply is this. Humility is the attitude that continually acknowledges need. I need Christ. It's constantly that attitude that acknowledges need, taking the focus off of me, taking off the focus off of my superiority, and realizing I have a need, and that need is Christ. Lots of, lots of examples throughout Scripture on humility. But the one that stands out the most is the life of Christ. So we hold on to that and we see humility is the first thing. Second ingredient, gentleness, by definition. 
sensitivity of disposition and kindness of behavior founded on strength and prompted by love. The word in Galatians 5, also there. Gentleness, a fruit of the Spirit, something that's going to come as I let the Spirit lead me instead of letting me lead me. Now, let me ask you a question. Men, it's probably more for you than it is for the ladies, but ladies, you can be included in this. How many of you have ever been accused of being too gentle? I haven't had Christy tell me in a long time, you need to change your tone of voice. You're being a little too soft with me right now. I haven't had that. I haven't had her say, you know, you're just being way too nice today. Can you stop? There's a, there's a thing about gentleness, I think, when we're saying, hey, you know, you're, you're putting yourself behind me way too often. You're putting me out there in the front. You're being way too considerate. Can you change that a little bit? Those aren't words that you're going to hear, but for some reason, men, if you're like me, it is a struggle. And for some reason, gentleness and humility are ones that we have this weird way of thinking that it puts me down further on the scale. And because it puts me down further on the scale, I struggle with it. That I can't be for, that's not what men do. And so we look at these things and we say, it's not about me. It's about Christ and it's about His glory and His honor. We're able to say, here's a process that I'm going through. As I allow the Spirit to lead, humility is going to come into my life. And not just humility, but also gentleness and the tone and the attitude and all the things that have in our life that probably aren't currently worthy of the calling that we're called to will begin to become that way. Ingredient number three, patience. Patience. How are you doing with patience? How many of you are sitting here going, when's he going to be done? (laughs) Patience. You know, patience is one of those things I I put, what is patience? Patience is your willingness to endure pain while waiting for God. Patience is your uh, ability to wait on God to change me while waiting for God to change another person, while waiting for God to change a circumstance. That is patience. The fourth one is led into by patience, and that is forbearance. Forbearance, being willing to bear with one another. Why? Why do we have to bear with one another? Well, even though we're sitting in church, I hate to break this news to you, you're sitting around a whole bunch of jacked up people. Okay? And if you are dealing with the fact that you're saying, well, not me, you need to go back to ingredient number one on humility. Because we are all jacked up people, and we all get in the way of... of all the things that we have listed here, the gentleness and humility and the forbearance and, and, and the patience, all of these things. Forbearance basically says, I'm going to be okay with forgiving without limits. When we look at these first four, and there's still a fifth one, but when we work, look at these first four, aren't you glad that these are in the embodiment of Jesus Christ? That he was patient with us? that he was humble enough to come on and take on the form of a servant, that he is gentle with us, and that he is more than forbearing with us, that he bears our everything. But then it leads to the final ingredient that's really the super glue of unity, and that's love. Love means that I can see the image of God in every person. Love means that, that when I look at somebody that, that may have hurt me, that I can look at somebody, I can look past their pain and say, you know, here's the thing. When somebody hurts you and that's when, when that bitterness seems to kind of build up and we have this difference between us, who normally hurts people? Didn't it generally hurt people that hurt people? Because they've been hurt. So if we can look past what they've done to us to say, what is it? And love them for who they are. And, you know, love pays the price to press through that barrier. And here's the thing I also think of, that love also 
always speaks the truth. And if you look just a little bit further down into Ephesians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 29, it says, speak the truth in love. And what does that mean? Well, it says, because I love you, I can't affirm the way that you're acting because the way you're acting is destructive to you, to me, and to God. And to the, the glory of Christ. And I, I can love you enough to tell you that. Now we have to do it in love as well. And that's really the soup that is unity. These five things are what bring us together. And that unity is what we're walking in together and to walk in this manner that is worthy of Christ as we go and we go as a church, as we go as individuals. We're called to be walking in unity with these ingredients oozing from us because of the Holy Spirit, because of what He's called us to do. And what is the purpose of it all? What is the purpose of walking worthy? What is the purpose of having love and humility and patience and gentleness? What is it? It's to glorify Christ. That's what it boils all down to. It's not to glorify me and say, look what I have done. It's to glorify Christ and say, look what he is doing in me and through me. And that is what it's all about, that every resolution that we have, like I said, even before, as we read through the, the book of Galatians there, it, it talked to be one that we, as we resolve to do good. You know that every resolution has one question? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth the time? Is it worth the effort? Is it worth the money? Is it worth the pain? Is it worth the you fill in the blank to go through it? Whether that's going to the gym or going to the scales or going to whatever it might be, is it worth it? So I have to ask you a question today as I challenge you to do the same thing I've challenged myself, to walk worthy. Is it worth it to Walk worthy for Christ. Is it worth it to give God the glory? Is it worth the time? Is it worth the effort? Is it worth the pain? Is it worth the money? Is it worth any of these things as we walk in unity, worthy of the calling that we've been called to? Can I ask you one last question? And this one was kind of inspired by, by David. Are you where you want to be? Are you where you want to be? When you were a kid and you said, hey, when 2017 turns into 2018, this is where I want to be. When you started out 2017, you said, by the end of this year, this is where I want to be. Are you where you want to be? And if not, why not? And if you are, does God get the glory for that? I look and I say, this next year, let's make it a point to focus on Him and walk worthy of the calling of being a Christian. Christ did this for us. Let's respond to him with this. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are again, and thank you for the way that you speak to us in our lives, and thank you for the opportunity to even be able to get into this word, the word that tells me that I'm a child of yours, the word that tells me that I am redeemed, the word that tells me that you've adopted me as your child, the word tells me that I am an ambassador of yours, that I get to represent you. But the word also tells me that I should respond in a way of walking worthy. God, I know I fail you in that. But I pray as I continue to grow in you and I continue to allow the Holy Spirit to lead, as I continue to let Jesus be the Lord of my life, that you continue to grow me and grow these things within me, grow the humility within me, grow the love within me, grow the patience within me, grow the, the gentleness within me, 
and make it evident not just to me, but those around me. And if the people around me see it, it isn't because of something that I've done, but that you get the glory, that they can say, look what God is doing in Matt's life. And they can say the same thing in theirs, that it can be a constant effect. And we see that effect spread, and we see that effect grow. And as it affects our church, then it affects our community, and it affects our community, it affects our state, and it affects our state, it affects our nation. God, may that be what happens. May it start right here with each individual in this room as we come together in unity to see your name glorified. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here right here in the front. And I would love to talk to you about maybe an area that you're struggling with. Maybe just you want prayer. Maybe you're thinking 2018 is going to be a great year and I can't wait to see what God is going to do. Maybe you just want prayer as we lead into that. I'm going to jump right down here in the front. I'd love to pray with you as we sing this last song. But even as we sing this last song, I want you to pay attention to the words. It talks about how God takes broken things and makes them new. Maybe you're thinking, there's no way I could ever walk worthy. There's no way I could ever be that God doesn't understand my past. Trust me, Paul's was worse than yours. Whatever you think you did, he was worse. But when he met Jesus, his life changed. Maybe you haven't met Jesus yet. What a great way to wrap up 2017, meeting Jesus today. I'll be down here in the front. Please stand with me, church, as we respond.